I did a draft for Spielberg wow. with Jim Carrey attached. Come on! Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I had to do a total rewrite and just kind of make it Jim Carrey-like. And I took, the structure stayed mostly the same, but I wrote some set pieces that were more sure. physical and wacky. And Did you meet with him also when you were writing? Yeah, I met him a couple times. I have some cool yeah. stories about that. And hey, everybody, have you seen Meet the Parents or Meet the Fockers? You know, two of the biggest comedies of all time? Well, guess what? Jim, he's seen them too. And also he happened to write them. Uh, yes. <laughs> but I don't watch my own stuff that much. So really? Most people have seen it more than me. Really? Probably. I think I've seen Meet the Parents. Meet the, every time it's on TV somewhere, I see it. You know what I'm saying? That's so not good a bad on you. thing, yeah. That's great. And, I, you know, if I'm flipping channels and I catch it, then I maybe watch a little bit. But Meet the Parents. What about that? Like, how did that come about? Because I know some other people had done a draft a while before, and then how did no, it come it was a, there was an existing short-ish film yeah. uh, done by some people from Chicago. Uh, Steven Soderbergh and uh, Nancy Tenenbaum, who produced Sexualized Videotapes. They, oh, yeah. They caught a wind of it and, and, and made a deal to shop it. Hmm. Uh, at, to figure out how if there was a way to turn it into a feature film hmm. and they wound up at Universal um, and I got called to look at it it's out there I think if anybody's really that interested I think you could probably dig it up the original? yeah but was um, it a short you said? Or was it? it was not really because it was like 40 something minutes I think oh okay look the concept of a guy goes to meet his future in-laws and things don't go well yes that's it yeah yeah I kept the title just because it seemed fine yeah. Uh, and I even kept the guy's name, Greg. A great name, by the way, to keep. Yeah. yeah going to keep so, anything in there. That's really kind of where the similarities end. And then everything else you, you, you came up with and... Uh... Yeah. I mean, the main thing I did that got me the job was a couple of things. Because the, the short film was very episodic. There was no... I mean, there was, there was a little bit at stake in that, you know, the guy is hoping to impress the parents. Right. But then there was no structure to it. It was just kind of one kind of episodic little gag. Right. And so my thought was, look, if you're going to go and visit somebody's family for the first time, um, how can you load that up structurally so that there's always something going on and there have to be places and there's right. expectations. and A lot of obstacles. So I put in, um, he was, you know, going to propose and then didn't get to and then very quickly gets invited to meet her family at her younger sister's wedding. Then I built from there because then I already, you know, wedding weekend has structure already. Like you got to yep. be places and there's guests coming. Sure. Smart. So then I just started to think about, all right, well, it's like the worst possible situation to be in within, you know, uh, without, without totally going off the rails, which is kind of what the short film did. And a lot of bad movies, that try these things, they go big, and they, you know, that's never been my deal. Right. Well, they my started deal. like ten, like eight years ago. Like that, that short was like years before you did your the feature, yeah. Like ninety two, and your the feature came out in two thousand. I, I couldn't tell you the date of the feature. Uh, you know, I mean the short that, yeah. that it was based on. It's um, my research. I saw. Okay. Well, take it. Take me you know more, <laughs> You know more than I. Do. Probably, I'm possibly it was on ninety two. That seems a long time. Yeah. Um, but from the time I wrote the first draft and the time we got, um, you know, the, the actors and got a green light was probably two years, wow. which is not bad. No, that's pretty good. Actually. I think it was probably like from 90, 
96 or 7 to 98 or 9. Right. And then you filmed it and, and then we shot it and it came out in 2000. Wow. Um, but the big thing that I also came up with that um, seemed to really help get it made was that I said, oh, you know what would be horrible is if your f- potential future father-in-law is a, <laughs> like, either is he a former CIA guy, maybe he's still in the CIA, but he's a human lie detector. Right, right, great. And anytime you start to say something that's maybe sketchy, he's going to just laser in on you. <laughs> and then also to have a lot of cameras in the house, like I just kind of said, oh, this is this was fairly early. People, this is before. People didn't have a lot right. of cameras around their homes. Right. So it was really the only thing that I was aware of at that time was, you know, people having cameras that they wanted in their baby's rooms and stuff. Right. And then sometimes right. they would hide them. You know, it would be a hidden uh, camera because, sadly enough, people were occasionally wondering if the babysitter was beating the shit out of their kid. Of course. Um, of course. Uh, so you'd have a cute little teddy bear sitting there while your yes. child's being uh, <laughs> thrashed. So then I just kind of, you know, leaned into all that stuff. But that's what got De Niro interested. Yeah, now he was a producer on it also. Yeah, it's, he's a producer on everything. He right. On, yeah. Is Jane more than Jane Jane Rosenthal actually That's his took partner. It, she took it to him, actually. Okay. So, and I don't know how Jane got it, but um, the funny thing is I mentioned Nancy Tenenbaum already, who was Steven Soderbergh's producing partner. Yeah. I talked to her on the phone a couple of times, but we've never met. Oh, we've really? never met. No. She's an East Coast person and she was er- in, she was in on it early and then she, you know, gave her two cents on the draft. I wrote a draft for Soderbergh. He said, this is hilarious and it's too commercial for me. I'm oh, like, yeah. I'm going to pass. <laughs> and then he went immediately did uh, Out of Sight and Aaron Brockovich and suddenly was making commercial movies. Oh, yes. But exactly. when he would read my script, he was still like, no, I'm the cool indie guy. Yeah, exactly. I did Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yes. I was glad I met Soderbergh and he was helpful in some ways that I can't quite remember. I remember he was a smart guy when I yeah. talk through some stuff with him. He had good ideas, but I don't, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't specifically tell you what he contributed to right, the process. Right. We had a lot of interesting back and forth with directors. Um, very early, Jay Roach got a copy of yeah, one of my yeah. early drafts. Yeah, he had just done director. Austin Powers and he very much wanted it to be his next movie. Wow. And then I saw Austin Powers. I went, this is hilarious. I, I, you know, and then Jay came to my house. Oddly enough, he's a wonderful guy. We're still friends. But he came to the writer's house to see if the wow. writer could help him get the job or something. Hilarious. And I was like, <laughs> Jay, I would love for you to do it, but there's nothing I can do or say. That, wow. So then I don't really know what happened in that interim period where Jay said, I want to do this. And I was going, Jay's great. Let's do it with Jay. And and then the executives are like, mm. crazy. So I don't know why that was, yeah. but there was some hesitancy. During that hesitancy at Universal, somebody slipped it to Spielberg. Yeah, Bob Cooper actually did, uh, who used to run DreamWorks uh-huh. for him. And Spielberg flipped and loved it. Can you imagine he would have directed it? I did a draft for Spielberg wow. with Jim Carrey attached. Come on! Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I had to do a total rewrite and just kind of make it Jim Carrey-like, and I took... The structure stayed mostly the same, but I wrote some set pieces that were more sure. physical and wacky. And did you meet with him also when you were writing? Yeah, I met him a couple times. I have some cool yeah. stories about that. But so Jay Roach was out of the picture. He went off and did something called Mystery Alaska, which was a David Kelly script about a hockey team yeah. in the Northwest or somewhere, Alaska yeah. or something. Yeah, Bilber, by the way, gave me a big overall deal at DreamWorks. That was nice. Wow. Um, while I was working with Spielberg and Jim Carrey, I noticed a f- couple of well, first of all, Spielberg. Pulled, said to me a couple times, you know, I really want to make this, but, you know, uh, 
you know, I, I tried a comedy once and he would kind of cringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 1941. That. Yeah. I saw 1941 like definitely once, but. I've seen it I, a bunch of times. I actually I enjoy it. I didn't think it was so bad. Spielberg was, is such, you know, an icon and he yeah. doesn't fail much. No, he does so not like to talk about that movie at all. That a failure. Yes. But I feel like he was going to be like, okay, now I'll show everybody that I can do comedy. You know, everybody that knows that Spielberg and Carrie were attached and then people that know how me the parents turned out, a lot of them have said, oh, it's, you know, trust me, it turned out so much better this way. It would have been a very different movie. And it's, you know, it's like an alternative universe thing. Right. Could Spielberg and Carrie have hit it out of the park? Probably, but it'd be a different. Maybe I mean, I still had most of the set pieces are still in there, and the stuff that people talk about that was all on the page. So I don't think Spielberg would have screwed that up. When did Ben Stiller come on? Well, when we got De Niro first, and he was new to comedy. He had only done an analyzed this. Yeah, but then like a year before this, that's why I was so close to him. I was like, oh, do you still believe? Yeah, I mean, suddenly they were thinking about him for comedies. He got very excited about the CIA stuff. So that was it. If I hadn't written that the dad was a CIA guy, we wouldn't have got De Niro. Wow. So then Spielberg uh, had mentioned that he was a little nervous about the comedy, but he'd also just come off of Saving Private Ryan, and he'd done a couple Not that funny, I have to admit it. But, you know, the same guy who punched up Schindler's List offered to do it. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. But he'd come off so many uh, movies in a row that, and he just had a baby with Kate Capshaw. Destry, she's funny because Destry is, when I saw her, she was this big. We would meet at Spielberg's place and work there and Kate would come by a little bit and she'd have the baby and then she and Stephen would have, you know, friendly conversation then she'd leave to go back to the greenhouse. And then Stephen would sigh sometimes and I go, he says, I want to try to make this this summer, but she wants me to take a break. Wow. Kate uh, Capshaw. And yeah, and uh, and then he goes, he goes, he goes because, but she's not wrong. We have the new baby. I just have done, I've done whatever he said, three movies in five years or whatever it was. He goes, and I really, she really wants me to relax and not do something this summer. And I really wanted to do this this summer. So, well, you know, I have to work that part out, he would say. Wow. So then that was when my little like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. Um, between that and him being a little Tentative worried about his comedy, comedy yeah. chops. So sure enough, even though Spielberg was very happy with the drafts, uh, and Jim Carrey was as well, Stephen finally said, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to pass. And, uh, and then Jim Carrey said, well, shit, I really wanted to be in a Spielberg movie, so I'm out. He never was in a Spielberg movie to this day, has he? No. Wow. But do you so, realize that Spielberg did this movie and it was obviously a huge success? You may not have gotten the rest of his. He may have stuck to comedy. He may be doing comedy. Right you now. think there'd be no Judd Apatow? It just would have been Spielberg. It would have been that. Spielberg. There's no Judd Apatow. Judd I'm joking. Judd is amazing. Then they went back to Jay. And then we went off to New York and met with De Niro and all that stuff. And so. Okay, but then you also have story credit also and screenplay credit on Fockers. Yeah. You did even more work on that one than uh, than the first one, yeah? Hard to say because that was, you know, in the interim between parents coming out and uh, and then we knew we were going to do Fockers. In fact, I, you know, one of the things Spielberg said to me when he read the draft was, he goes, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. He's going through it and talking about what he loved about it. And then he, then he gets toward the end and he goes, and you've got the sequel. And I'm like, oh yeah? Because I had actually written the last line, and the script was uh, now there's only thing you know after they're together. He goes, now there's only thing one thing left to do, and and she says to Greg, and Greg goes, yeah, what's that? And she says, or maybe he says that I forget, but somebody says, meet your parents. Yeah. 
So nobody, I mean, maybe somebody does this. I, I would never have the audacity to write something, get done and go, and I've set up the sequel. Oh yeah, it's tough. You know, yeah. because lucky if anybody even makes it to begin with, and it's yeah. good enough to have a sequel. So I just thought that just felt like an organic kind of way to end the movie. Did you write Fockers with Babs? Barbara Streisand and no, Dustin no, Hoffman in my No, of course not. No. Okay. Did you tell No, we that? just knew they had to be kind of like... Old yentas. Lib- <laughs> just Florida liberal. <laughs> right. Just don't really give a f***, you know. I right. Mean, that they just live a, you know, just kind of a bohemian, I don't want to say hippie, but, you know, yeah. kind of like a lifestyle where it's like, somebody's going to walk into the kitchen and their bathroom's not quite closed. Right. And that kind of, they don't care. <laughs> and they don't care. And then, you know, some of the stuff was at some point was pitched for, you know... Maybe she should be a sex, sex therapist for yeah, senior citizens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I, did, I never want to lean into that stuff too, too right. hard because it starts to feel too jokey. feels like a third, uh, like a second sequel to it instead of the first sequel when you start to have the... Well, <laughs> you know, look, Fockers, uh, box office-wise and everything, and people actually, oddly enough, recognize... You know, meet the Fockers more than meet the parents. Meet, meet the Fockers did like 527 million, exactly. which is 200 million more than parents did, which is crazy. That's like $840 million. Those two movies that you wrote made. Yeah, they made almost a billion. Yeah. And then you throw in Little Fockers, which I had nothing to do with, but then the trilogy's up over, you know, a billion. Were you too much for that? They would would have to pay you too much money to do uh, that one there? No, it took so long, and I never thought it was the best idea. Right, right, right. And then they got Larry Stuckey, who was Jay's assistant, good guy, but he was kind of a newbie writer, mm-hmm. and so it took a while for him to crack it. Yeah. I was off writing a million other things, so, you know, and also John Hamburg was in the equation as yep, well. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, he's Ben's guy, and Ben brought him on oh, okay. um, to do, you know, interstitial stuff on parents, and then, gotcha. and then John's got a good hand in Fockers. Fockers mm-hmm. is, you know, easily split just creatively with me and Hamburg. Oh. Parents is mostly mine, but uh, but Hamburg's got you know some stuff in Fockers. I mean, I got story by John didn't because of the, I mean, some of the structural stuff is oh, mine. Right. But as far as you know, just pages and stuff, it's it's fairly even there. At one point, there was a lot of people weighing in on oh, yeah. Fockers. Oh, I can imagine. That's what happens. They all want to have a successful piece of it. sequel. Yep. They start with the people that usually had the initial success and then they don't, they're not shy about bringing in any number of other people. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we just mentioned Judd. Judd was involved at one point in a discussion about it. Who threw some ideas around. Again, Mark Hyman also was a new yeah. comedy writing. He actually is mostly responsible for some of the kids' stuff, the baby stuff. Can you milk uh, cat's That's nipples? me. Yeah. That was you. Did you ever try to milk a cat's nipples, Jeff? There'd be really no reason to do that um, from a research perspective. Okay. You can just kind of write it and assume that people know you can milk a cat. Oh, I, I didn't realize I don't think that. I had to prove that before I put it on the page. <laughs> you, so, you, you talked about Apatow. Now, did you meet him? Because you also worked on, like, as a co-producer of the groundbreaking It's, it's Gary Shandling show. I wasn't a co-producer at all. I was a writer, but I wasn't even in the guild yet. So they gave they had me to a give researcher you, title. Oh, well, I think they gave you, yeah. So they actually, gave you if you see the first or second season, you'll see my name under a researcher. Oh. Uh-huh. But that was kind of what they did before people were in the guild. Right, and, right, right. Um, now I got paid. A, a, you know, my first my first TV show staff wow. paycheck, so that was nice to have a regular... What an iconic show, though. Every, like, everybody who was huge in comedy came from it. Remember anything crazy that went on in the writer's room? or? Well, I mean, some of the writers that I worked with uh, on that show, Alan's Wybell, of course, and, oh, yeah. and, Gary, and Gary, and then Sam Simon, 
Jeff Franklin, Neil Pomerantz, who was an old guy, Jack Burns, who used to be Burns and Schreiber, but also was George Carlin's uh, oh. comedy partner for a long time. Brilliant. And then Max and Tom Gamble and Pross had come off of SNL and Letterman. Well, you know, those guys, ironically, they had a, a pilot called Helmet Heads that I actually tested for. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a very funny pilot. Obviously, I probably made it funnier. They didn't go with me. It didn't get made. I'm not saying one led to the other. They've had a couple pilots over the years, but I mean, they're bread and butter guys with The Simpsons and some other things. Yeah. Seinfeld and Simpsons, two of the yeah. biggest shows. And speaking of Simpsons, you also worked on Married with Children for a season, did you not? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I worked on it for season nine or 10 or something. Right. And that was, I wanted to keep a foot in television, but I was writing features at the same time right so i was a consulting producer i said i can't yes. be i can't be in there five days a week so i think i had to be in there three days a week i think i went monday wednesdays and fridays we shot nice cushy schedule it was not cushy at all That's not cushy Opposite. it was too much work only gig right 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 but i would literally be you know working on one or sometimes two features and then i'd have scripts piling up from married with children that i'd have to read for next week and wow. then it just became too and because it was later in its seasons you had to actually try to be extra creative to do things that hadn't been done before and all well, there was a stuff. bit of that yeah where i would pitch stuff and they'd be like oh that's hilarious we did that season four right episodes. do your research jim when you got on our show. So, you know, and I really just didn't have the right. time to look at prior uh, 200 episodes. You or did. Oh, yeah, exactly. They did so many. That show and Simpsons single-handedly, well, not single, there's two hands there. Those two saved the fledgling Fox network. Everything else was dying on that show, on that network. Yeah, right. Those two, if it wasn't for one or both of those, there would be no Fox to, to this day. Married with Children did create the foundation for Fox to go a couple of years, and then The Simpsons came along after. Oh, that's right. So the 87, I think, um, it started that being uh, Married with Children. It was like very different from ABC, CBS. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, well, you can't the, say the, this kind of stuff. The pilot was originally titled Not the Cosbys. Right, right, right. It was interesting. I have some cool memories of that show, but um, give us so give us one memory. It's been around for you know, and that guy, you know, uh, Al. Al Bundy. Yeah, I'm thinking of Ted Bundy mixed with Al. Al Bundy went on, who still did, who worked so much in TV and film, then back again in TV. You know, I mean, yeah, at at, at um, O'Neill. When we would have read-throughs, I would you, you tend to always kind of sit in the same seats, and I just always happen to be next to. Um, Christina and oh, yeah. um, so tell David Faustino, David Faustino. very yeah. nice guy. I met him. He used to come to the house. Very he, cool kid. So some of my memories were just kind of like sort of eavesdropping on the two of them talking. Oh, they had a good relationship. Yeah, they were literally like a brother and a sister. Here's a good one from casting. Well, I was at the producer level, so I got to go in on casting sessions for married with children. But you know, married with children was especially in the later seasons, they fell into a kind of a, a groove of stunt casting with playmates and the like. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember so that. a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> jiggle casting, if you will. Yeah. Um, so one thing that was funny was, you know, the, the we shot on the, uh, the Sony lot, um, which used to be the MGM lot, of course. Mm -hmm. And they named a lot of the buildings on the lot after iconic directors right. and whatnot. Right, right. In the casting session, you you would cast three or four different of the walk-on roles or whatever all at once. They'd all come in like for three hours and they'd all read the one or two lines and then they'd leave. And then you'd have to make a total, almost a completely random decision because it's just like yeah. a woman in the supermarket uh, wearing a mini skirt and the, you know, Al's got to pick up something for Peg and <laughs> so they have a moment next to the fruit stand or whatever. It's just right, like, right, really, right. 
So that was, wasn't like high art, but it was, <laughs> we were giving the people what they wanted. There was a parade of, let's just be honest, either, you know, actual bimbos or women who were there trying to be a bimbo. Oh. But one of them walked in uh, to the casting session. We were, we were in our building and she had her drive on pass and everything. And she goes, oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. Which one of you is David Lean? <laughs> because we were in the David Lean building, of course. The David Lean of uh, oh Lawrence God. of Arabia and yes, the other yes. famous uh, director from the movies. 60s. So we all had a good laugh at that. Oh, wow. Um, and she had no idea why we were laughing. And I think one of us actually said that'd be me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On a related uh, note, yeah. Faustino, yes, uh, Bundy, who was I would guess he was over eighteen, but maybe not even twenty-one. Oh, okay, he would sometimes, uh, especially if it was a a casting session for a romantic mm. uh, role, he wouldn't happen to stop by. That you? yeah, like who mm. the girl he was going to be pursuing in that episode or right, whatever, right, right? Yeah. He absolutely would kind of drop in and, yeah. try. and it was pretty much sometimes if it was only in a couple of lines, right, right, right. He would say, "Boy, I really want you to cast her because oh, wow. he wanted to get with sure. her." Yes. And sometimes we would all, you know, after the casting session, we'd look at each other and we'd be like, "Yeah, I don't know. That other girl was really good, but mm. Falcina wants to bang that one. So let's, <laughs> let's give him. Let's let's throw him that." But a different time. It was a different yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. If you're if you wow. were a struggling actress and that was your one audition that month and you were so excited and you were thought you were gonna get a married with children and you didn't, it might be because Bud Bundy wanted to bang somebody else. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be our headline here at this. Speaking of uh, aspiring actress, what about aspiring screenwriters? What would you what advice would you give somebody who's like starting out right now that doesn't want to go the AI route? I don't think you have a choice whether you're gonna go the AI route. I think AI is gonna decide that for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird time because here's the thing. Um, I worked on a lot of sitcoms after Shanling and before Married with Children. And these are sitcoms that most people wouldn't even remember. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I was still on a sitcom staff on a major network where we would get a 22 episode order. Yeah. And they would pay X amount per episode and you'd get a couple scripts and you would make, you know, really good money six figures well definitely six figures yeah i mean but you know you would be making as much as a thoracic surgeon yes. or the like. yeah yeah like three hundred thousand. you yeah back in the 90s back in the 90s which today is well yeah you could, you could make good money Almost. so the point is when you when you finally managed to be good enough to get staffed that was like it you felt like well now my now i have a career now I can, that work will make work and I'll go from show to show. And that was usually the case. If, right. you, if you didn't suck, you even if your show went down, work, your scripts were good, you got, your agents were working it, or like, you know, and, yep. and, and you would go to another show and you could do that for five, 10, 20 years, who knows? Yeah. And that would be, you could buy a house in LA and you could what about you know, now? build your pension and all that. So now, I mean, I haven't been working in television, but most people do work in television. And it's just, it's apparently this is why we're on strike. Yeah. It's just no longer the 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 golden ticket that it was. Hmm. You can work your ass off and, and get lucky and be one of the few that gets you know chosen to be on a show as a staff writer. But now it's a mini room. There's only four of you. There's only six or eight episodes. It's a streamer. 
they're paying you the writer's guild minimum, but maybe even if they're paying more than that, it's kind of a moot point because you get paid per episode. Yeah. There's only six or eight episodes already. Like I said, it was 22 episodes back when I was doing it, and you, they would sign you up for 13 and then the back nine uh, if the show was good and they still wanted you. So suddenly, even if, and then you're exclusive now, and you know you have to sign up for a streamer, and they go, you can't work anywhere else. And you go, yeah, of course not, but you're in a, you're in a mini room, and you're taking uh, their time because you don't have a, a fall schedule like the networks used to have where the show's got to be ready and out for viewing right. in September. So they might say, hey, we've got six episodes. We, they don't need it for six months. We're, we're going to just kind of take it at, you know, episode a month approximately. So come on in and put yeah. in and hang around. And when we need you, we'll throw you pages and maybe you help us with them. And, but they're not giving you a script because there's only six or eight episodes. And frankly, the creators and the EP are going to be able to do that and take that money. So, and then if you don't write a script, then you don't ultimately get a residual. And so it just becomes a, a job that everybody seems to want, and it's very hard to get. Hmm. But really, if you get into a situation, like I just said, where it's a six-episode six commitment and it drags out over six months, even getting paid a little above the Writer's Guild minimum, you're making the same money as a guy working at Home Depot. Hmm. So nothing against the Home Depot folks. Being a, a, a television writer, yeah. a staffed writer, Very was tough. was you yeah. know was supposed to be like the Olympics of uh, writing, and to get there was very hard. Yeah, it's it's, so, it's it's very hard now to survive if you. Yeah, so they have to figure out how to change that because the landscape is different. So that how does the writers guild pivot, and what do we negotiate to try to make it so that what I just described isn't the case? Are they going to get? Most of the stuff they're asking for. I, they're going to get a lot of it. And, yeah. But, but you know, this is the third strike for me. I struck an 88. I struck an 08. There's 07, 08. Yep, yeah. I'm a strike now. And it seems to always follow the same pattern, which is they don't talk for two to three months. And then it, because the alliance of motion picture yeah, people, and, the studios, and, essentially, they know at some point the only way that they can knock down our list of demands yeah is through a war of attrition and getting the membership to start to freak out and people are losing their houses and, and you know, getting really desperate and then they turn around and go to the negotiating committee of the guild and go, hey, we're dying here. Uh, you know, those yep. 15 things that we said we wouldn't uh, accept anything less, we need to accept less. So yeah. when the negotiation committee starts to go, shit, and they start to look at it and they go, all right, well, maybe we just go for these 10 things. Yeah. And so then, you know, that's... That's how it works, and that's where we're at right now. All right, hey everybody, that's our episode for right now. Jim Hertzfeld, everybody, thank you very much, Jim, for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. I'll give you a handshake, and uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. Oh, and uh, and Kat couldn't make it, I told you, because Kat, unfortunately, had some, uh, her Instagram got deleted by accident, so she's going through a lot of stuff right now. Do you mean so. I have a charming co-host I didn't get to meet? Yes, yes, you didn't meet her. She's All six right. foot nine. Wow. Yes, she's right. just a little bit taller than you. All right, thanks, everybody. <laughs>